Hello, I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And you're listening to Bricker by Bricker, a podcast to support parents with building productive partnerships between home and school. Well, as you well know, Carol, productive partnerships are really important, but they also require a lot of effort and commitment from both parties. And I think with the holiday season fast approaching, now is a really good time for us to kind of pause for a second and truly acknowledge you know, the effort of all the parents and teachers who have worked together to help ensure that students have had an enjoyable and productive school year to this point. And it's also a time of year when a lot of us are reflecting on the past year and then making goals or resolutions for the upcoming year. So with this new year also starting a new decade, we thought it would be a really great time to share our future hopes and wishes for elementary school education and home and school partnerships. You know, it's kind of hard to believe we're 20 years past all that Y2K euphoria oh. and concern from it just seems making like sure you ago. have your bottled water, yeah, exactly. and, you know, what's going to happen when the time changes and the lights go out. Yeah, it's amazing. 20 years is whizzed by. <laughs> So it's interesting. The first wish is going to be about safety. Absolutely. And let's face it, it's always in the kind of top of everyone's list in all aspects of life. And we hope that all students always feel safe at school. And we certainly are all aware of physical bullying and the implications that has for kids. But as we continue to move through this 21st century, cyberbullying is also something that we, we really have to be aware of and concerned with and looking at possible solutions. Oh, no question. And it's going to get even, you know, that much more kind of important to address. But I think, Carol, we need to really kind of differentiate bullying, which of course is a very big concern, versus everyday conflict. And, you know, bullying to me, the big term is ongoing. Mm -hmm, Uh, To me, bullying is not a one-off. It's an ongoing, repeated uh, behavior. And also, it's typically embedded with a real power imbalance. Uh, versus, you know, everyday conflict, like you and I are friends and all of a sudden we don't get along in the schoolyard or whatever. We disagree about something. Or we disagree about something. Or there might have been a little pushing and shoving. Certainly. But that's that's kind of an emotional one-off. That's not bullying. And I think it's important also to really further help kids develop effective conflict resolution skills, both at home and at school. How do we deal with those hurt feelings? How do we deal with that anger? And a huge piece that I think has been great the last, say, 15, 20 years, uh, schools have really adopted the restorative practice model where if you and I have a significant issue, not only will there very well lead to consequences uh, from the very minor to the very significant, but when all is said and done, you and I will then sit down and with, of course, an administrator or a teacher or a combination or sometimes parents, but we'll work through the issue and try to really kind of mend fences, which I think is huge. Well, it's an important thing and an important skill moving forward because you are as an adult going to have conflict with people, but you're still going to have to work with them. So another thing that we really hope is that children who are experiencing any forms of bullying, that they they are comfortable or they have that adult, whether it be an adult at school or mom and dad at home, that they're comfortable to talk to and express their concerns, because this is how we're going to see uh, some resolution to that, oh, that well said. situation. Well said. And extending kind of our wishes for safety, well, we really hope that all staff in all of our schools, and that, of course, is administration, teachers, educational assistants, early childhood educators, custodians, 
any kind of board staff in the school, that they all feel safe and respected by all stakeholders in the school and in the broader school community. And you're right that all staff really need to be feeling safe. But I think we also have to sit, think to those situations where we do have students in schools who are requiring some additional instruction or in, intensive instruction around their self-regulation and their means of communicating. Because in a lot of cases, that this, this behavior is their form of communication. So I think one of our wishes for this population of students is that we find those solutions so that they're better able to communicate their, their needs in a more appropriate manner. No, you, you raise an excellent point, and that is certainly something we do, we do not mean to be kind of glossing over or minimizing. That's a very valid point. Uh, I was really looking at, I guess, kind of more so from the broader mainstream kind of student perspective, that in any interactions with staff, it's important that we don't have kind of open defiance and uh, and or highly inappropriate language. And of course, that applies to parent staff interactions too, mm-hmm. where we're always passionate about our kids as we should be. We're our num- we're their number one advocates. But any interactions need to be respectful. That's what calm. I was going to say. Yeah, you know that's really what I was talking. Well, about. and and as parents, we need to be modeling that respectful behavior both at home and and at at school school, as we've said many times carol everyone's on the same team so once we have this really great safe environment our next wish is really around programming and we really hope that all students are challenged in their day appropriately in their daily schoolwork appropriate challenge is the key phrase and i think it's an ongoing goal i know for the two of us at least it's an ongoing goal to really minimize the kind of uh, worksheets, the fill in the blanks, the kind of things that take five minutes to do and are put in the recycling bin at the end of the day. They have no learning legacy whatsoever. And with older kids, instead of assigning them questions one to 40 in the math textbook, how about questions one to 15 and have really targeted questions to really address their given strengths and concerns. You're right, because we know the kids who are going to be able to get all of the questions right before we even give them the questions and those kids who are going to be challenged by them. So let's be more thoughtful into what we are absolutely assigning to children. And that ties in beautifully with my next point about being under or overwhelmed. You're right, some kids, they can get everything very quickly. Why are we just continuing to give them the same old stuff versus kids who are just completely overwhelmed? Uh, But I think it's important, too, when it comes to kids who are, say, misbehaving or off task, historically, it's always been felt that, well, they're just so frustrated Mm because they're they're overwhelmed. They can't do the work. And I've learned really over my career, both as teacher and administrator, that in lots of cases, the kid who's, quote, acting out, he or she can actually do the work very well, thank you, and they are very underwhelmed. And as you mentioned, too, I think it's really important to have that classroom environment where everybody is really comfortable asking questions. But I think what's really important, it is that the asking of questions, it's not the questions that we as teachers ask kids that are important, but we really are seeing that nice shift that what's important is the questions that our students are asking either each other or themselves about the assigned work and and being able to dig deeper into that because it's more personalized their learning there it's their questions that are driving well you raise an excellent point like really kind of richer learning is all about generating more questions 
not simply fixating on getting the answers. Mm -hmm. It's a really good distinction. And when we have kids who are very comfortable asking those questions, we see much happier, motivated, confident risk takers. And we really are hoping that classroom environments and school settings and home environments are really setting up that nice safe place where kids can can take those risks and be confident in that. And then also looking at in those environments, that growth mindset that if through hard work, I know that I'm going to be able to achieve whatever goal it is that I, I set out for myself. Well, you raise a really good point too. that whole kind of belief in yourself as a learner and the kind of the encouragement and the confidence to take risks. Well, as you know, Carol, that's got to be constantly reinforced both at home and it school. Is, and at school. And then also with regard to programming, we really hope that each student's schema is recognized, respected, and routinely activated. Well, then along that line, it's so important when it comes to schema, of course, for all of us, schema is really a, a kind of a compilation of our skills, our interest, interests and experiences, and our different personality traits. So we've got someone who's very keen on a certain subject. But of course, that's probably because they've got a lot of skills and they've had a lot of previous success in that subject mm -hmm. versus something else they've struggled with. And as educators, of course, we have to address those situations differently. And I think also we have to really acknowledge that, for example, Jamie here was a little kid, not surprisingly. He was very keen to share his thoughts and he always had his hand up. And he, was <laughs> and he was relatively loud, but he was certainly enthusiastic and he was certainly listening. And for some teachers, I was great. And for other teachers, eh, they weren't so keen on me. That was obvious. So I think it's really important to address and recognize, as you say, and value kids' different personality traits. Right. And one size, let's face it, huge strides in education in the last few decades. We recognize one size in learning and teaching simply does not fit all. As far as our next item on the wish list, we certainly hope for equity for all students. And when we talk about equity, I think many of us are familiar with fairness as opposed to sameness. And there's this really great uh, visual out there of three children, an older child, a middle-aged child, and a younger child trying to peer over the fence. And when we give them sameness, it's only the older child that's able to see over the fence and gather that information from whatever is happening in the scene beyond. And it's not until we provide appropriately leveled boxes that the kids can stand on that we allow access to, to that information to all three of the students. And I think that's a really important thing moving forward is that we, we have to recognize that we need to provide for kids the tools and the means so that, that they can have equal access to that information. Well, that is a really powerful analogy with the kids in the fence, Carol. And with your spec ed background, would you not agree that it, really that fence is representing any barrier or any hurdle for mm -hmm. any student? Oh, definitely. And, and, you know, you look at the situation where a child requires glasses for reading. None of us think, oh, let's take away those glasses because you know, the child actually needs those in order to see. Well, that's the same with accommodations. If a child needs, you know, additional time or movement or maybe technology, 
you know, those are things that, that that child should have access to. And there should be no question about providing that for that child. Well, I just love, you know, your key phrase, access for all. I think that's mm-hmm. really kind of the umbrella statement. And we also, of course, hope for equitable access to resources and activities. And when we look at the additional funding that schools can generate through their school community council that allows for more technology in the school or optional excursions and activities. And I think our wish here is for that funding model so all students have access to these same opportunities. Oh, no question. And as you know, I was at a school uh, in my career as an administrator where over the course of a year, we would generate under $1,000 total when it came to things like our school community council and different fundraisers. And yet I know colleagues who would generate in excess of $30,000 oh, yes. in those in that type of you know situation. So that there's an enormous disparity in those additional funds. And I think it's important for us to stress for everyone, we're not talking about the school budget. No, that's, that's a completely just, different yeah. issue. We're talking above and beyond kind of additional fundraising. So it's certainly not a level playing field. And I couldn't agree more, Carol. I wish it were far more level. And we certainly hope that all of our students get lots of opportunities at both home and school to develop the four C's that I know we've talked a lot about in terms of 21st century learning. The first one, of course, being critical thinking. And let's face it, in our modern world where we're inundated with things like fake news, As our kids grow up, they simply can't afford to take anything at face value. And really, these are skills that are transcending school. These are lifelong skills. And similarly, communication is one of those those key skills that students need to develop. And initially, they're communicating with their, their classmates across the desk. But as they move into adulthood, it's across the country or across the globe and really needing to have those effective skills for communicating. And I think active listening is a huge part yes. of that. I think because I, I, there's no question I typically fall into the trap myself of thinking communicating is kind of, you know, what I'm saying. Getting my information. You know, versus the active yes. listening component is huge. Now, the third C is collaboration. And I think it's a, once again, we've mentioned this before, but a key distinction, cooperation is all about playing nice, but collaboration is a step up because collaboration, we're working together for a common goal. And as you said earlier, important in school, but also another one that's important in later life. And then using that collaboration for the force C, which is that creativity. And with our our world constantly changing and what's available within our world constantly changing. The problems that we're encountering are constantly changing. And so we have to be creative in that problem solving and trying things that have never been tried before. Well, it isn't just a case of we used to say thinking outside the box. Well, I think you'd agree in our modern world, the dimensions of the boxes are constantly changing themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. a very fluid situation. And the bottom line is these four C's are so critical moving forward that both at home and school, we hope kids get routine opportunities to work on them and apply them. And so then that leads us into our next set of wishes, and that's around the homeschool partnership. And we really hope that all parents are feeling well-connected to their children's school and classroom and classroom teacher. 
and that they're also well-informed about what their child is doing. And so hopefully that daily agenda is being used effectively and parents are getting those opportunities to receive those sunshine calls to hear about the great things that are happening or maybe it's a sunshine email or a note in that that agenda. But, you know, those are some real basic things to create that really positive relationship between that. Home oh, no question. And Sunshine calls are great, but there are times, of course, where things aren't as, quote, sunny uh, between home and school. And if parents do have concerns, we certainly hope that uh, they get a response back from the school or the classroom teacher or whomever in a timely manner. And as we have mentioned throughout our podcast the past year or so, hopefully from both ends of the spectrum, home and school, there are no surprises when it comes to the child's you know, progress throughout the school year. And we also really hope that all parents are well received and that they're being respected whenever they do call the office or where, whenever they do go to pick up their child. Absolutely. And I'd like to interject, Carol, because as you well know, that is very, very much a two-way street. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for, for parents, even on very emotional issues, to always come to the school in a hopefully positive frame of mind and to certainly have respectful interactions with everyone in the school building. That's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. And then also to keep these these informed relationships going between the home and school, just reminding parents about the school website and to regularly access it because it does contain a wealth of information about upcoming events and, you know, teacher websites about assignments and, and potential tests or maybe excursions, things like that. P parents can find that information there. Oh, no question. It's, it's really kind of hard for someone to honestly say they didn't know when it comes to what's going on at a school now with so many different uh, communication options available. And we certainly hope that, once again, all parents' interactions with their child's school are polite and respectful. And I think a biggie there is to really, really kind of address the rational versus the emotional. Nothing, nothing is more emotional for a parent than a concern related to their child. Mm -hmm. We absolutely understand that. But hopefully in terms of the interactions with the school and working through the problem to a, a, a positive a solution, it's really driven by rational thought rather than any emotional outbursts. Well, and those emotional outbursts tend to lead to that blame game where we're pointing the finger at who's the cause of the problem. And identifying who's the cause of the problem isn't necessarily going to be identifying or working towards a solution. And ultimately, that's what we want, is to be looking for solutions to whatever the issue or problem is, not looking at, you know, who is the cause of it. Oh, no question. And the blame game, of course, ultimately leads to raised voices and, uh, you know, accusations, etc. And I've done kind of an unofficial survey throughout my career. And I want to stress, it's unofficial, it's not scientific, but I know that it's quite accurate. And that is that raised voices absolutely correlate to closed ears. Mm-hmm. And there's absolutely no question about that. So it's important, once again, let's be rational, let's be calm, and let's really have a discussion. Because ultimately, everybody is on the same team, and the the outcome, the, the solution is what everybody is working towards. Which is the best interest of your yes. child. Yes. Absolutely. 
Further along on our wish list, we hope that all home discussions uh, involve speaking positively about your child's school and his or her teacher. Because, I mean, it's so important that your child, from the youngest age all the way up to, you know, grade eight and beyond, frankly, that they really sense a tight alignment between home and school. And they really sense that it's not some kind of competition between parent and teacher, uh, which the child can then kind of use to his or her advantage as they get older. But they have to realize that home and school getting the same message. And, uh, you know, that's the same as, you know, playing two parents against each other. Oh, absolutely. Exactly the same. But there are situations where maybe there isn't an issue or a concern that parents have. And I, I just, I wish for parents to remember to have those conversations away from your, the child's ears. And if you, you know, between, if you're discussing between both parents, you know, something that's happened at school or a concern that you have, making that a private adult conversation because ultimately the child has to go back to school and, and work with that teacher. And we don't want that relationship to be splintered. Well, as we said back a few podcasts ago, when it came to uh, the parent teacher interview night, there are certainly some times during a chat with parents and teacher that the child should absolutely be involved, but we have to be, have to be aware of the fact, as you say, there are some times where no, it's far better that just the adults discuss. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. And we hope for all families that they make learning a part of their everyday lives and that they don't feel the pressure to enroll their children in costly enrichment programs or remedial programs because there is so much that can be done incidentally at home to extend that child's learning and understanding about certain things. And we've talked in the past about the three Bs, the build it, the buy it, the bacon. And those are just things that are naturally happening within the home that have so many learning opportunities attached to them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, get down to the unit cost and things like area and perimeter and the conversions from different uh, units mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, making a recipe or something. No question. And as you say, Carol, those are so authentic mm -hmm. because, you know, we're baking this cake or we're painting this wall. It's, it's real life. And I think it's always, always one of the top items on the list is we really hope parents continue to read to and with your children on a regular basis and hopefully a daily basis. And also, I think it's important for families to really seize these opportunities to discuss community events that are kind of directly affecting your child and or you, uh, but also extending it to kind of national events and world events, because, of course, with all the technology, it's a very small globe these days. And I think you'd agree, Carol, that we have really enjoyed over the years, you know, watching a TV program with our with our kids or a movie, you know, and or playing a game. But we can also be kind of addressing anything that might come up on the show that's really kind of pertinent. But also, of course, it's just a really quality bonding time. And, and building on that ability to think critically about what's happening in the media, whatever form it is that you know you're you're viewing at that point in time, and developing that media literacy with your kids when you have those rich discussions. Well, you're so right, Carol. And like in terms of media literacy, uh, I think it's it's really important for our kids to really understand that every newspaper, every radio station, every TV station, every online site 
has their own embedded kind of bias and a different lens of looking at things. And to really go to a variety of different sources to help any learner come up with their own truth. And moving on to our next wish for education, particularly at this time of the year, is that we hope for that gifts for teachers are redirected towards those who are in need. Oh, well said, Carol. I mean, the bottom line is we were both classroom teachers for many, many years, and gifts are not the least bit necessary. They are certainly not an expectation. No. And let's face it, no family should ever feel compelled to be giving a gift, frankly, at any time. And we both know that the other kind of reality is, in terms of a teacher, the things that you really remember years later are not all the coffee cups you've acquired through well-intended gifts, but rather those brief comments you might just before school out in the yard, or those brief emails, or the very nice cards you might get occasionally, things like that mean far more to the teacher anyway. Oh, definitely, and and have that that long-term effect. And But if parents are and children are intent on giving a gift, trying to remember that a donation to a local hospital or community programs or breakfast programs in the teacher's name would be would be very well received from both the the organization but also from the teacher that you think highly enough of the teacher that you would well, it's like very, it's to, very touching yes. that's very touching and also I think it's great that some schools certainly collectively say about November make it clear to families that they're like to contribute as a school, we are going to support this particular uh, cause, which I think is another great option. There's also, of course, the big issue of attendance. And one of our hopes is that all students arrive to school each and every day on time. Because this is certainly is better for their learning. It also shows the child that school is valued. It's not just a place to hang out. And once again, it's, as we've said before, it's fairest to other students, of course, because once a student arrives late, it's affecting the learning environment. And bottom line is, it's excellent role modeling for down the road when they're in the workforce. And you have to be to work on time. You can't be strolling into work 45 minutes late and say, how's it going? Yes. And then moving on with the attendance is we really hope that all students strive for that perfect attendance, that they're consistently participating in a five-day week of school. Well, and once again, school has to be a priority. And I know, Carol, the reason you're stressing five-day week is every year it seems more and more kids are missing Fridays and now some Thursdays due to different sports tournaments. Those are all great hobbies, but school has got to be number one. And for our Ontario families and and teaching colleagues, but it's also prevalent around the the globe as well, that we really hope for extended labor peace for all stakeholders. And the bottom line is we respect uh, all parties' thoughts and opinions, but the bottom line is we all want our kids in a positive school learning environment in which all of the stakeholders are on the same page. And I think it's really important at home that there's no kind of uh, political kind of discussion or name calling or any of that occurring, say, at the dinner table. Uh, Teachers have certainly done an excellent job over the years of keeping the politics out of the classroom. And I think it's really important that politics stay out of the educational discussions at home, too. And I think we have to remember that when this is all said and done, we all need to be working together. So we're 
going to have different political views, but let's not carry them into the relationship because what we ultimately want is the best for kids and that kids deserve the very best educational experience possible. Now we've reached our final hopes and wishes. And we hope our faithful listeners continue to find our podcast helpful as they work to establish and nurture ever stronger homeschool partnerships. And we also hope that our listeners will encourage their colleagues, their friends, their family members to give us a listen and let more people know about the discussions that we're having here on Bricker by Bricker. Love to have them. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at jamiebricker.com or contact us through our website at www.brickerbybricker.com. And for those new to our podcast, we'd like to remind or let you know that you can follow us on Voice Ed Radio. And but if you have another format that you're using, we're also available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, to name a few. And we hope everyone has a safe and enjoyable holiday season. And we look forward to connecting with you early in 2020 on Bricker. Bye, Bricker. Bye, Bricker.